Have you ever wanted to do something in life, but you just didn't feel like it was the right time? Maybe you wanted to do something for God, and you knew that this was something that God had put on your heart, and, and I need to do this, but it just didn't seem like the convenient time to do it. I remember years ago when I was uh, growing up, I, we had a man come to our church to preach, and, and he gave everybody a gift. It was a little piece of wood about that big around, just a, somewhere between the size of a nickel and a quarter. And, and on the one side, it said around, was written on it, and you flip it over to the other side, and it said to it. And he handed those out while he was preaching, and he said, at the end of his sermon, he said, now, many of you, God has spoken to your heart today, and you said, I'm going to do that when I get around to it, so right now the ushers are giving you a round to it. (laughs) Well, so often, thank you, Brad, (laughs) and Tony, (laughs) I appreciate appreciate the two laughs that I got there, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, so often in life, that's what we do, isn't it? So often in life, we know there's things that we should do, and we're going to. There's, there's somebody we know that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe it's a family member or a friend, and we're go- we know we need to witness to them, and we're going to someday. We know that we need to get engaged in a local church and serve in that local church, and we're going to do it someday. We know that we need to uh, be, be faithful to our studies in school. And you say, on the first day you're bringing that up? <laughs> yes, and we know we need to, and we're going to do it someday. We're going to, we're going to do better. You know, This is going to be our semester, or maybe next one. It's going to be my semester to, to do my best. But we have these things in life that we know that we should do, and we're going to do it someday. Well, this morning, I want to share with you from a passage of Scripture that speaks to that struggle that we have. I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of John in chapter 9. John chapter 9 is a very interesting chapter, a very unique chapter for a lot of reasons. Uh, as we come to the chapter, it begins in verse 1, where it says, Jesus, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was, born, who was blind from birth. In other words, he was born blind. Now, there were people that uh, in Jesus' day that he had healed that were blind before, and there are those who uh, he had crossed their path, Bartimaeus and others, that he had healed from blindness. But specifically in this case, he said this man was born blind. Now, in Jesus' day, just like in our day, there are times when people become blinded either from sickness or from an accident, And later, their brain heals and they get their sight back. And so while it was miraculous that Jesus healed blind people in his three and a half years ministry, nothing was more miraculous than healing someone who was born blind. This guy had never understood what people meant when they said the word green. He never understood what people meant when they talked about the sunrise or the sunset. He had no idea because he had no frame of reference. He was born blind. And Jesus sees this guy, and immediately Jesus sees the need, and Jesus' followers see the debate. Now, you know that happens so often, doesn't it, with Christians? We see the debate, and we want to talk about 
all the theological ramifications of this. And so they immediately jump into a discussion, the disciples do, about the theological ramifications of this man being born blind. And so in this story, what happens is Jesus corrects their problem because, see, what happens is, is they're having this discussion. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, there was a sense in, in their, their, their theological minds in that moment that if someone has a sickness or a disease or a tragedy that comes into their life, that it's because they have sinned. But what confused them is this man did not have an accident that made him blind. He did not have an illness that caused him to be blind, but he was born blind. And so they're having this theological debate. What do you think? Can, can a person sin in their mother's womb? Did this, kid, did this kid do something as a baby in his mother's womb that was so bad that God blinded him? Or... Is it that his parents did something so bad and he's being punished for his parents' sin? And this was a debate they were having. So they bring it to Jesus and they ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now listen, that reveals a flawed theological system. And by the way, there are a lot of people who believe that today. There are people that think that every tragedy, every trial, every sickness, every disease comes because of our sin. And in fact... Many times I see people do this where they are following God, they are doing exactly what God wants them to do, and then a problem hits their life and they say, oh no, what sin have I committed? And they begin to do this self-reflection upon their life. Man, this problem must be a result of my sin. And many times they'll say, well, maybe I made the wrong decision when three months ago they knew that's exactly what God called them to do. But they are now questioning it because of the problem that came into their life. And there are people who believe that. There are people who believe if you're walking with the Lord and you're trusting Him, you'll never have a problem in life. Everything will be smooth. Everything will be easy. Listen, if you believe that today, I want to just go ahead and pop your bubble right now. That's just not true. In fact, most of the time in my life, I've discovered the opposite. When I am following the Lord and being obedient to Him, that's when the trials and difficulties come. And in fact, that's what we see in Scripture. But these guys had been watching that in Jesus' ministry. We're coming to the end of the three and a half years as we come to John chapter 9. And they had been watching that, but they still didn't get it. Jesus had even corrected them on this in other times, but they're still having this debate. And Jesus corrects it again. He said, listen... This man didn't sin, nor his parents, but for the glory of God. Listen, sometimes God allows difficulties to come into our life so that he can be glorified in a greater way. So he moves on. He looks at the man, and here's the second reason this chapter is interesting. The way Jesus healed him is a little bit strange. It is not something that I personally would like to happen to me. Jesus has healed up to this point in many different ways. Sometimes by touching him. One time a lady touched the hem of his garment. Sometimes Jesus just spoke the word. Sometimes Jesus reached down and lifted people up. He touched a, a leper. Jesus did all kinds of things. He, Jesus even healed people when he wasn't even present from miles away. He can do whatever he wants. But in this case, he does something strange. He bends down and gets some dirt and he spits in it. 
and he rolls it up, and he sticks it in the guy's eye. It's clay in his eye. Now, that's, this is a whole lot different than when I was a kid and somebody spit in your eye. When I was a kid, somebody spit in your eye, this was not a good thing. We were probably about to have a fight, okay? Uh, but, but he spits in this dirt, and he puts it on the man's eye, and he says, now go wash in the, in the pool of Siloam. And so the man goes, and I mean, I'd go wash too, because I just got this spit and dirt in my eye. And he goes and he washes, and when he washes it out, he opens his eyes, and he can see for the first time in all of his existence, he can see. Now, there's all kinds of debates about, well, why did Jesus do that? What happened? Well, we don't really know because the text doesn't tell us exactly why it is that Jesus chose to do it this way. I kind of have a suspicion that Jesus intentionally healed people in various ways so we wouldn't hold on to the, the method of healing, but the master of healing. And listen, I want you to understand something. Sometimes God heals through surgery. And through medicine. And sometimes God heals by taking you home from this earth to never experience pain again. And sometimes God heals instantaneously in a miraculous way. But all true healing comes from Jesus. And he is teaching his disciples this in the process of healing this man. Well, immediately people are looking at this guy and they're like, wait a minute. Aren't you the guy that, that was begging over there? Aren't you the one who, who is always asking us on the way to synagogue for, for alms to, to give you money because you were born blind, you cannot work, and, and you're an adult now, you're not under your parents' uh, uh, care, you, you're on your own, and, and so you need help, and uh, haven't I given money to you before? And, and others said, well, that can't be because we've never heard of somebody born blind being healed of it. It must be, he looks kind of like him though, but it can't be him. And the man stands up and says, hey, hey, it's me. I'm the guy. Yes, I was born blind, but yes, now I can see. And they said, well, how did it happen? Well, this guy, Jesus, came and he spit in dirt and he put it in my eye and he told me to go wash and I did and I can, I can see. It's amazing what God has done. And they're like, this can't be right. Let's take him to somebody with spiritual authority. Come on, let's go. Grab him by the arm, take him to the Pharisees. And they tell him what's happening. Now, immediately, the Pharisees jump into their theological discussion because Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Today's a Sabbath day. Now, tell us again, how, how did this happen? Were you really born blind or are you playing games with us? Somebody, does anybody know his parents? Go get his parents. And they bring the parents before the Pharisees. They say, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, how does he see? We don't know. Now, John gives us commentary here in the chapter to tell us this. They said they didn't know. They said he is of age. Ask him because the, the Pharisees had already put the word out. If anybody believes in Jesus as the Messiah, we're kicking you out of the synagogue. And so as a self-protective measure, they say, eh, we're not getting involved. Ask him. You know, there's so many times we're tempted to not get involved in standing for truth because we're afraid of the consequences, and that's where his parents were in this moment. And so he says, he, they said, ask him. And so they asked the man, and he said, listen, Jesus healed me. And they said, what do you say about him? He said, well, I think he's a prophet. And they say, he can't be a prophet because he healed you on the Sabbath. This is a bad thing. And the guy said... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is amazing that you guys think this. What I know is I was blind and now I see. And they said, well, listen, give glory to God. Don't, don't, don't believe this. I mean, don't, don't give this man glory. Don't trust him. I mean, he's healed you on the Sabbath. That can't be right. He said, he must be a sinner. Don't, don't, don't give glory to him. And he said, listen, it's crazy that you don't know this guy and you're not believing him since you were supposed to be the master teachers of God's word in Israel. And you've missed it. He has to be the Messiah. No one has ever healed someone that was born blind until now. Only the Messiah could do that. He walks out. They tell him, don't come back. They kick him out of the synagogue. Jesus hears about it. Jesus comes to him and he, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? One of the messianic titles from the book of Daniel. And he says, I will, Lord, if you tell me who he is. And he says, the one who speaks to you is he. And he says, I believe. And he fell down and he worshiped Jesus. What an amazing chapter. With so many things that you and I can learn as you study the chapter. But today, I want us to focus on one single verse. And I want us to go back to my opening question. Is there something that you know God wants you to do? And you've been thinking about it. You've been praying about it. And you've been putting it off. I want you to know that in this text, we find a single verse that says this. And if you forget everything else I say today, don't forget this. When you know it's from God and His Word, do it now. Look at the verse 4 with me. Jesus had said in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Then he says this single verse, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. Jesus said, listen, uh, this is done for, for, for the works of God to be revealed. But I want you to understand a truth I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because the night is coming when no one can work. If we want to summarize that verse, we could say this, do it now. Jesus is the example for us of doing it now. Jesus didn't delay. He didn't put it off. He didn't debate about it. He was going to obey God. The Father had sent him here for this task. This man was prepared for this moment and Jesus was not going to let the moment pass. I want to show you three things from this verse about doing it now. We must obey now. We must do it now because obedience demands it. Look again at the verse of what Jesus says in verse 4. I must, I am obligated to. It is necessary that I do this. I must work the works of Him who sent me. He said, I am here because I have been sent here. I have not only been sent to earth, Jesus said. I have not only been sent to the cross, which he was going to be in just a few days from now. But he said, I have been sent right here at this moment, at this time. This is a divine appointment. And this blind man is about to bring glory to God if I do what I came to do. I have been sent and I must do it. Listen, when you're reading in God's Word and He convicts your heart about a sin in your life and tells you to get rid of it, do it now. 
Listen, when you're reading in God's Word and He convicts you that you need to strengthen your time in prayer and ministry of the Word, do it now. When you're reading God's Word and He convicts you that you need to study it more, do it now. Don't say, I'm going to do it someday. Don't say, oh, but I'm so busy today. Do it now because obedience demands it. Jesus says, listen, I've got to do what I'm about to do because obedience demands that I do it. The one who sent me gave me a command and I must do it. I must. It is necessary. I am obligated to do the work of the one who sent me. Now, you know, we don't live in a world like that today. We don't. In fact, the world that we live in, if you're told to do something, the immediate response is no. Or ignore it. I mean, just on, on jobs, just, just go watch. Uh, this summer, uh, I've had a lot of travel that I've done. And in traveling, I've been in several situations where I was in a restaurant or something, and, and, and uh, man, it was just like a crazy long wait and everything else. And somewhere along the way, uh, this happened to me probably 10 times this summer, a manager would come out and say, I'm so sorry it's taking so long, but I'm, I'm, I'm down to two employees because people just don't want to work. I'm offering a sign-on bonus, and nobody will take my job. People don't want to work. I've had managers this summer come and apologize that because they had sent someone to my table to do something and the person just kind of disappeared. There was one time this summer that I was at a restaurant and a person came and, and took our order and then disappeared and nobody knew what happened to him, including the manager. Now, folks, that is bad, but let me tell you the worst that happened to me this summer, a manager came and took my order and left. <laughs> and we were with a big group. Tyler and Michaela were with us. And the manager took, took half of the orders, and, and a worker took the other half of the orders. The manager left, and at the end, we were trying to figure out what we owed. And the worker said, I don't know what you owed because the manager didn't tell me what you ordered and didn't write it down or put it in the computer. I have no idea what to charge you. Because people have been sent to do a job that they are unwilling to do. But listen. When God sends us, obedience demands that we obey. You know, that's why you need to do your best at school. That's why you need to do your best in the classes you like and the classes you don't. That's why you need to do your best in your work study assignment. Because God sent you here. And you need to embrace that. Even the difficult moments. And you need to obey. Obedience demands it. When I was a kid, I had struggled with obedience when it came to my mother. I did not struggle with obedience to my dad. Uh, you've heard of the fear of God. I had the fear of Ophir. I remember one time I was nearly ready to cross the line with my dad. He stood up and he went like this with his belt. He just put his finger on it. And I just immediately did what he said. I had no idea what he was going to do. Maybe he was just straightening his belt, or maybe he was about to take it off to give me a spanking. I didn't know, but I wasn't going to be involved in that. But when it came to my mother, sometimes I did not obey. I remember one particular day, I was watching wrestling on television. 
And I liked Saturday afternoon wrestling. That was back when it was real. <laughs> Not really. But anyway, <laughs> I liked watching it. And mom hollered in from the kitchen and said, Mark, I need you to, I think it was take out the trash. She told me something she needed me to do. And I said, okay, mom. And then I just sat there watching the show. Now, my intent was when the match was over, I was going to go do it on commercial. But the match went longer than anticipated, and I stayed there on the edge of my seat watching as Terry and Dory Funk were having a tag team match against two other guys. And, and Mother came in and said, Mark, did you do this? And I said, no, I'm going to get to it in a minute. And she walked over and shut off the TV right at, a, at an inopportune moment. And I said, Mom! And she said, Mark, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told, and with the right attitude. Now go take out the trash. And I got it. And I've never forgotten that moment. And Jesus wants us to understand that delayed obedience is disobedience. We must do it now because obedience demands it. But there's a second reason Jesus reveals in this verse about his own work that we can apply to our lives. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. In other words, it's easier to work in the day, right? Uh, if you've ever worked on a farm, you understand that. It is easier to work in the day. Sometimes you have to work at night. But it's easier to work in the day. The idea is that opportunity is now. Jesus said, I must do it now because opportunity demands it. Not only does obedience demand it, but opportunity demands it. You see, this is the moment that has been planned. This is the moment that the blind guy is sitting there. Jesus may not pass this way again. If he does pass this way again, the blind man may not be there. Now is the opportunity. This is the moment. Opportunity demands that when God leads us in His Word, when we are going about our day and the Holy Spirit prompts us to encourage someone, to say, hey, how can I pray for you, to share the gospel with someone, we don't know if we will ever have that opportunity again. Opportunity demands obedience now. We may never see that person again. It may never happen. This is the moment. The opportunity is right now. 23 years ago, June 1st, Cindy and I celebrated 23 years of work in New England. Now, we had been here on a couple of visits before that, but that was when we moved here. We actually uh, started work on the 1st. We didn't actually get our stuff moved until the 8th of, of June. But we celebrated 23 years. In August of 1998, there was a group uh, brought together of people from all over New England that were new to working in New England. And they called it a New England orientation meeting. They fed us real good. And they talked to us and encouraged us. And towards the end, a man got up to speak. And he stood up and he said, now, 
there are a lot of things wherever you come from around the country that you don't know about New England, and I want to tell you some of those. And so he began to share some stuff, and some of it was very insightful and very helpful for us. But as he was coming to a conclusion, he said, and the last thing I want to share with you is I want you to understand that you cannot share the gospel with anyone until you've built a long-time friendship with them. Don't even mention God or the Bible till three to five years of knowing someone. And when he said that, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, all the other information you told me was very helpful, but, but really? Well, we finished the meeting, and they just had a meet and greet time afterwards, and I, I went up to him, and I said, hey, can we talk for a minute? And he said, sure. And I said, privately? And he said, yeah. And so we went to a corner where nobody was, and I said, listen. I said, uh, you know, I really appreciate a lot of what you said, but at the end there, you said that, that I can't share the gospel with someone until I built a relationship with them for three to five years. And he says, yeah, that's right. I know that's different for you because you, you've not been in New England. You've been out west. You've been down south. But you've never, you've never really worked with people in New England. And I want you to know that, that if you try to share the gospel, they'll reject it and they'll, they'll never talk to you again. He said, you just cannot do that. He said, I'm telling you, Mark, don't even mention God or the Bible until you have known Him for three to five years. And I looked at him and I said, David, I may be dead in three years. They may be dead in three years. I understand I got to be friendly. I got to be kind. I got to build a relationship. But, but what, if I, what if I wait and everybody God sent me here for enters eternity having died without Christ because I didn't do my job? Well, I hear you, but you know, just you're probably not going to follow my advice, but please do. And that was the end of our conversation. Folks, I want you to understand something. When God leads you to do something, you don't say, I'll do it in three years. You do it now. Opportunity demands it. Opportunity demands it. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a couple from Texas here visiting and they spent uh, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with us, and then Tuesday night, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then Friday. Uh, they were here. I, I had to leave Friday, but they were here. And on Thursday night, the last time I was meeting with them, we went over to the public house together for a meal. And, you know, we pretty much know everybody at the public house because we typically have our trustee dinners there and graduation dinners there. And so I walk in, people are, hi, Mark. Hey, we're looking forward to you guys coming this year. And all that kind of stuff. And then I sit down and a waitress walks by and says, hey, I don't usually see you here by yourself. Where's the group? And I said, well, it's not time yet, you know. And then our waiter comes out and he was brand new. I'd never met him before. And so most of the wait waitress staff over there have all had me ask them, hey, can I pray for you about something or give them a track or share the gospel with them in some way. But this guy was, was brand new to the room. And so I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, give me an opportunity to share with this guy. His name was Andre. And so throughout the meal, I looked for opportunities. In fact, I was going to do my traditional thing, and when he came over to bring our drinks, I was actually going to tell him, hey, uh, listen, we're going to pray for our meal here in a minute. Can I pray for you about anything and see if that opened a door? But he actually sent our drinks with somebody else that already knew me. So I didn't do that. So I kept, every time he came to the table, I tried to look for an opening to get in and, 
And finally, we were almost through with our meal, and I said, okay, it's just not going to happen. It's not an opportune time. That's it. And uh, so maybe, you know, I'll build a relationship with this guy. Next time, I'll, I'll be able to share the gospel with him. And so we were wrapping up, and he brings me the check, and he hands me the check. And I just had that moment of this may be your opportunity. But I, I had none of my normal lead-ins. So I said this. I said, hey, did you come here to go to college? And he said, well, actually, I just graduated college. I, I came from Syracuse, and uh, I, I just moved here because my girlfriend lives in town. I want to live close to her, so I moved to Bennington, got this job, and uh, I'm doing that. And I said, well, what would you study? Well, I studied business. And I said, what's your plans long term? And he told me a few of his plans, and he said, he said, why'd you ask about college? And I said, well, I'm a college president. I'm, I'm president of Northeastern Baptist College down the road. And it's just always interesting to me when I see young people, if they've come here to go to to go to uh, one of the colleges in town. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, let me ask you another question. And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, did you go to church in Syracuse? And, and you would have thought I asked him if he had cancer. I mean, he looked at me and said, uh, no. <laughs> um, I've never been to church. My, my family don't go to church. We're not church people. We've never been to church. And I said, oh, I was asking because I... I know several pastors in that area, and I thought maybe if you went to church, I might know one of them. He said, oh, no, no, I, I, I've not done that. And I said, well, have you looked for a church since you came to Bennington? And at this point, the guy's thinking, did you not hear me? I said, I'm not a church person. That's what, that's what I'm expecting him to say. I mean, I'm really fumbling trying to get somewhere with this guy, you know. And he said, uh, actually, no, because my girlfriend's never been to church, and her family aren't church people either. But you know what? Now that you bring it up, so something inside has been telling me I need to know about God, and I wondered if I ought to go to a church to get it. Because, you know, I need some purpose in my life. And over the next few minutes, I shared the gospel with Andre. First time in his life he ever heard it. And I said, Andre, does that make sense? And he says, it really does. And I said, Andre, would you like to receive God's free gift of eternal life right now? And you know what Andre said? No, get out of here. No, that's not what he said. He said, listen, I really got to finish something up. Would you do me a favor and stay here? And in just a few minutes, I'll come back and sit at the table with you because, yes, I want to do that. Immediately, the man that was with us looked at him and says, do you have a Bible with you? And I said, no, I don't. He says, I'm going to go get mine out of the car. I'll be back. I'm going to give it to him. And he got up and went to the car to get his Bible, and before he got back, Andre came back and sat down. I, I summarized again, made sure he really understood, asked him again if he wanted to receive Christ. He said yes, and he prayed and trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior at that moment. When he opened his eyes and looked up, there was a change on his face, and he said, I am different. And immediately he looks up and he sees my friend standing there, Dean, holding the Bible and says, do you have a Bible? And he said, no, I've never, never even seen one. And he said, well, this is God's word, and I want you to have it, and I want you to read over here in John. And right here is my name and phone number and Mark's name and phone number. You call us anytime you want. That night we text back. He, he initiated texting me back and forth till over after 11 o'clock that night. He said, in one of the texts, he said, I called my mom and told her, and I thought, uh-oh. They're not church people. And he said, she is so excited 
for me and wants to know more. Listen, I may never, ever see Andre again. Opportunity demanded that I do it right then. But there's a final thing that I want you to see in this verse. Do it now. Obedience demands it. Do it now. Opportunity demands it. Do it now because the end is near. Look what he says in verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now very often when I've heard people uh, talk about this verse, very often there's so much in this chapter as I described a moment ago that we just kind of slide over this verse pretty easily. But when I have heard people stop and, and really talk about this verse for a few minutes, typically they tie that to the opportunity at that moment. And they say, listen, Jesus is talking about the fact that he knew that in just a few days he was going to die. He was going to be buried. He was going to rise again. And then 40 days later, he was going to ascend to heaven. He's talking about the fact that his night is coming. But folks, I want you to understand that's what he meant when he said it is day. But I want you to look closely with me again at the verse. Look there what he says. He doesn't say the night is coming when I can no longer work on earth. I mean, that's where we're at now, right? He works, but he works through you and me. He's not here physically on the earth. But that's not what he says. He says the night is coming when no one can work. He's not talking about the opportunity of the moment. He's talking about the opportunity for eternity. He says there's coming a day when there will be no more opportunity to work the works of God in lives of people who need the gospel. There's coming a day when there will not be any more time there's coming a day when the end will happen. Folks, I am convinced that one of the problems in churches across this country in the United States of America today is we think we have all the time in the world. We have forgotten the fact that Jesus can return at any moment. And, and listen, I know there are all kinds of different views about when the rapture is going to happen. And if you want to argue about that, we'll do it sometime. But I want, I want to tell you, if you have honest integrity and you read through Acts to the end of the book and you are carefully and you're reading, one thing is absolutely clear. Whatever you think about end time events, you must know this. They were told that Jesus could come at any minute and they lived in anticipation that he could. Now, God knows when Jesus is coming. It's clear. I mean, Jesus knew in Acts when the disciple says, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons, which your father's put in his own hands, but you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus knew at that moment that it was going to be a while. He didn't know exactly when, evidently, that was not his decision, it's the Father's decision as to when. But he did know that it was going to be a while, and yet he emphasized the urgency of he could come back at any minute, so watch and wait and work. And in Acts, and in, in Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and all the way through to the book of Revelation, where it ends with Jesus saying, even so I come quickly, and John said, even so come Lord Jesus, all the way to the end, is we need to be living like Jesus could come back before I finish this sermon. 
Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to come a time when we can no longer share the gospel with anyone. Because our time on earth will be done, and not only ours, but theirs, and the opportunity for the gospel to go forth will be over. That time is coming. There's coming a moment when human history will come to an end. And we don't know when that's going to be. So our job is to obey now. Several years ago, I was uh, in seminary, and I was uh, filling the pulpit at a church. I was not pastoring. And they were beginning to talk about calling me as their pastor, and so I was was uh, planning that that's probably what was going to happen. But they didn't have Wednesday night services. They only had Sunday services, and so most of the churches in, in our area had Wednesday night services as well. And so on a particular Tuesday, one of my friends, Buck Booker, uh, lives over in Maine now, and you'll probably meet him someday, but Buck, I love it, Buck Bernard Booker. You never forget a name like that. But Buck Booker called me up, and he said, Mark, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I said, well, we're just going to go to this church over here. And he said, well, would you go with me? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, well, I'm going to talk to this church about becoming their associate pastor and the, their youth leader. And, um, the, but, but he said, that the church don't know yet. I've only talked to uh, the pastor and deacons, and, and they're not ready to share with the church. And they, they want to make sure that I really feel like I could fit in. So they asked me to come to a Wednesday night service because they said, you'll really get to know our church on Wednesday night. So come to a Wednesday night service and bring somebody with you so nobody really knows what's going on, but just, just come. And uh, just observe and see what it's like. And, and so he said, I, so would you and Cindy go with Robin and I? And we said, sure, we'll do that. And so the next night we went to the church and we got there. And when we walked in, you could tell there was something wrong. I mean, the looks on everybody's face, it was like there was a cloud over, over the property. From the time we stepped out of the car and certainly once we walked in the room, into the building. And immediately... Uh, the pastor was standing there, and he said, Buck, would you come with me? And uh, somebody else took Robin and Cindy and I and took us on into the room where they were going to be meeting that night. And as we're talking, they said, listen, uh, would you please pray for our church, particularly our youth? And I said, well, sure we will. You know, what's, what's going on? They said, well, our, our, our pastor right now asked Buck to go with him for whatever reason, but they're, they're back there meeting with the youth group right now because we've had tragedy strike us. And I said, well, what's, what's going on and how can we help? And they said, well, he said, uh, there's this guy in school, at high school, that is, he's the most popular guy in the community. I mean, he's, he, he is the athlete in every sport. And several people in our youth group are friends with him. And, and, and our, our youth group have been learning and growing in their faith. And, and several of them had a, had a, burden for this guy to get saved and they start praying for him and and recently they asked him last Saturday we had this big event we went to a to a amusement park and they asked him if he would go with them and he went with them and they were all excited about it and then they were really shocked when he came to church on Sunday morning 
And it was just so excited. They were so excited. And, and, and they've been praying for him to be saved and everything else. And then, and then Monday after, after school, he went to work. And he works in construction. And he and another guy were electrocuted. And he died on the scene. The other guy's in ICU. But this 17-year-old athlete is dead. And the youth group are all just in turmoil. They begin to call each other yesterday when they heard the news and, and catch each other at school and say, did you share the gospel with him? Did you share the gospel with him? Did you share the gospel with him? And not one of them did. But right now they're hearing that though they did not know it, Sunday afternoon our pastor and another man from the church went to his house and they shared Jesus and he trusted Christ. And the pastor's letting them know right now. So we rejoice, but they're devastated. Would you pray for them? After the service, Buck and I talked to some of the youth. And they were grateful that the pastor had went. But they were stunned by the reality that God had put the burden on their heart, had given them repeated opportunities, and not one of them shared the gospel. Because they knew that next time, the pastor might not be there to pick up the pieces. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Has God been working in your heart? Is there, is there some sin in your life that God has been convicting you of? And you say, I'm going to deal with it. Quit putting it off. Deal with it now. Confess it to Him as sin right now. And when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But don't just do that. Get help. Talk to your shepherd. But man, if it's something that is deep and, and difficult, go see Dr. Sweet or go see Tony. And say, would you, would you be my coach? Would you be my counselor and help me through this? Make yourself accountable to people. Do it now. Quit putting it off. Is there something as you have read God's word, he's convicted you that you need to do? Maybe it's not something you're doing that's wrong, but something you should be doing that you're not. Maybe you're just dreading finding a ministry at church to be involved in this semester and know you got three weeks to do it. Confess that as sin and say, God, I'm ready to serve you. Is there a family member or a friend that God has put on your heart that you need to pray for? Pray for him now. Is God leading you to share the gospel? Then do it now. Or are you open to, to having encounters like the one that we had with Andre? And for God's Spirit to prompt you to, even though it's not a convenient time, it's closing time and everything else, just do it now. Have you missed those opportunities? Confess it and say, Lord, forgive me and help me to do it now. In fact, I would encourage you today to say, Lord, help my life attitude to be God. Whatever you teach me, whatever you show me, 
whatever you convict me of, whatever your spirit leads me to, help me to do it now. Just spend a few moments dealing with God about whatever it is he's put on your heart. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we say, I'll do it someday. Forgive us for the times that you open a door for us to share the gospel and we say, Lord, I'm just too busy right now. I got things to do. God, forgive us for the times that you put on our heart to encourage a brother or sister in Christ by just taking a few minutes and say, hey, I, I want to pray with you. Are you doing okay? How can I help you? And we say, okay, Lord, I'll do it, but not right now. I'm too busy. God, teach us to be willing to set aside our busyness for your business. Teach us to have the attitude that we'll do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. God bless you.